0: You are
1: listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc
0: so Would you stand to your feet and welcome uh, Brad Lewis as he comes this morning to bring the word.
1: Love you too. You know, when... Um, my kids were growing up, they were in 4-H club. And we raised ducks and geese, nice, big, fat, tasty, juicy ones. And uh, Drew and Tony and their brother Bryce used to come out and help us catch these, these messy critters and stuff them in a crate and take them to be processed. So. Uh, We've, we've done a few things together, haven't we, Drew? You know, this morning, I just want to have a family chat with you guys, because uh, your pastoral staff, over half of them uh, came from Fargo and from our church, and so uh, I'm sorry to your grandpa, <laughs> whether you realize it or not, <laughs> And Tony actually was my right-hand man for about eight years. And during those eight years, I used to say to Tony, you know, Tony, I just don't understand why people don't understand what we understand. (laughs) And I would say that after God did something really cool like in a men's night or a retreat or something like that. And I'll just say that in the course of my life, I have stumbled on more things by accident or by the Holy Spirit leading me there, even though nobody else could explain it to me. And uh, there has actually been uh, a book written recently that I've read, that puts it all into perspective. And so this morning, I want to share with you. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for this, it's a chapter out of the book, but it's something that we have walked in for years. And all of a sudden, I read this book and I'm going, oh my goodness, this is the story of our life here, you know? And so I'm going to talk about the concept of Hesed. Now all of you are going, what? And hased is a Hebrew word that I am going to define shortly and it's really gonna help you to understand what's already happening in your church, what's gonna continue to happen in your church and is going to make you more effective for the kingdom of God the other six days of the week. It's just awesome. It's a win-win deal this morning. So um, the English language has got a major, major problem with it. And that is we take the word love and slap it on I love french fries, I love my wife, I love the people in my church, I love my pat and, and I love God and all those things mean something so totally different and we all throw it in the same bucket with the word love. And so hesed is a Hebrew word, agape is a Greek word. We're gonna unpack those two words this morning a little bit because it's gonna give us a little bit better of an understanding than I love. So, if you are gonna write something down, what has said means is relational attachment. Relational attachment. I'll give you a few more. It means relational glue. It means spontaneous acts of love. It means a sense of family love. It means enduring covenant love. Now, isn't it cool that God's intention for us in how we live in the body of Christ and in communion with each other is to be relationally attached, to just Acts of love coming out of us spontaneously to have a sense of family where when people walk in that door for the first time on Sunday morning, they're going, there is something different about this place and I don't know what it is. All I know is I want it. I mean, isn't it fun to just have people walk in and, and not have to convince them of, of anything. Because we used to sing a song, scary number of years ago, probably about 30, called, They'll Know We Are Christians By Our Love, only they'll know we are Christians by our hesed, by our relational glue, what the Holy Spirit is doing with our relationships. And, you know, again, things that I've done by accident over the years. Kay, will you stand up? I just want to introduce my wife to you for a second. This is Kay. But what we actually do in Fargo is we do... Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship at North Dakota State University and at Minnesota State Moorhead. And Kay and I stand up at the first meeting every fall and we say, folks, this is not a religious organization. This is a family. And see, I didn't even realize how powerful what we were saying really was until I read this book. And then I went, oh my goodness, we're on the right track. Okay, so let's take a look at a a verse, Lamentations 3.22. Lamentations 3.22 is a verse that uses hesed in the Hebrew, and we're going to take, I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, and then I'm going to read it in several other versions. So in the in the ESV, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Okay, what it's saying in Hebrew, you know, the said of the Lord never ceases. NIV says, the great love of the Lord never ceases. New American Standard says, the loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. The King James Version says the mercies of the Lord never cease. The New Living Translation says the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. Now see, all of that is really good. We're familiar with that verse. It's an awesome, cool verse, but to read it like God is so relationally attached to us that it never ceases, just adds so more depth and richness to that verse. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and Greek also has a word for love that attaches all Christians to God and to each other. And that word is the word agape. And Paul spends the whole 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians trying to put into words what agape really means. And so, if we come to the realization that Christian discipleship, like Pastor Drew referred to, is always in the context of relationship and not curriculum. We are gonna be on the right track. And see, so many places where the body of Christ, big picture, goes wrong sometimes, is they know they've got to do discipleship and so they'll order a curriculum and they'll be all excited about their curriculum and they can't figure out after they've gone through it why nothing's changed. It's because discipleship isn't in the con. I mean, curriculum's good. I'm not criticizing curriculum, but I'm saying we need to understand that it's within the context of relationship. I have an intern who is a phenomenal man of God this year. His name is Bryce. And Bryce told me that the first time he walked into a Chi Alpha meeting at NDSU, he said, Brad, I was a wreck. Because he said, I could tell that those people had something that I didn't have and I wanted it. And so again, what we're going for, and and you guys are already on the journey, but just to keep pushing into and pressing into that place where people walk in the door and go, I have never experienced what I'm experiencing in this room right now. When we are flowing in the chesed of the Lord, our character is transformed through the flow of God's love. John chapter 15 is a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. It is talking about a grapevine. And what we have is this vine and these branches and And there is relational attachment between the Father and Jesus, between Jesus and us, between us and other Christians, between all of us and people that don't know Jesus yet. And we need to understand the flow that's there. And you know the real interesting thing about grapevines? If a branch does not produce, it gets pruned. But if a branch produces heavily, it also gets pruned. So being part of the, the vine, there is discipline if we're nonproductive or if we're productive. And of course, none of us want to be unproductive. We want to be productive. But there's still discipline in the process that comes from God. I want to read... Um, a li- just a little paragraph out of this book. And if I'm going to do that, I better get my glasses on, folks. Um, this is First John 4.11. A helpful exercise to revive this tired word, and this would be agape, um, is to replace love with the concept of attachment as we read familiar scriptures. For example, if we look at 1 John 4.11, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We can awaken our senses by replacing love with the idea of family bond. A paraphrase might be, dear friends, since God has joyfully attached himself so firmly to us, we also ought to attach ourselves to each other as family members. Now, isn't that a fun thought? Okay, so, what happens when a Christian community starts functioning like a religious institution instead of a family. What we don't want is to be a religious institution. We wanna be a family. One of the best case studies there is, is the Ephesian church. And so I'm going to take you on a little journey through that this morning. Um, Ephesus is in central Turkey, is the country that it would have been located in today. And the Ephesian church started out with plentiful Hasid and agape, but they ran into a problem down the road. And so we're going to take a look at this from different angles rather than reading Ephesians. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Second Timothy, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Paul founded the church at Ephesus. And Paul had a mentee named Timothy who was the first pastor of the church at Ephesus. And the book of 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote before he died. And it's not a book, it's a letter. He wrote a letter to his son and God, Timothy. And it's the Bible's mentoring manual. We can learn an awful lot about the kind of relationships we're looking for by reading this. And so just look at what these first couple of verses say. To Timothy, my beloved son, not just to Timothy, my son, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I, look at this word, constantly remember you in my prayers. Constantly, remembered Timothy, night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Paul and Timothy loved each other so much that they could hardly stand to be apart. They prayed for each other constantly and when they were together, they were moved to tears because they were so precious to each other. That's what has said in agape, really. You know, it doesn't say that, but those are the qualities and properties of what's going on here. And this is where God's leading us, where we have those kinds of relationships. So we know that that church started out with relational attachment because the founders of the church were relationally attached to each other. Now, Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem to get arrested to go to Rome to die a martyr's death, where he wrote this book from. But when he was on his way to Jerusalem to get arrested in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 through 38, he makes a pit stop at Ephesus to say goodbye forever to the people there, to the church there. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all, notice the word all, began to weep aloud. Okay, we're not talking a courtesy tear. We're not talking, I just got selected homecoming queen (laughs) tear. I mean, they were messed up. They were ugly crying, folks. Um, They began to weep aloud and embrace Paul, repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. So we see this emotional, and and again, I'm not shooting for emotion here, folks, but what's going on is a byproduct of what's in their hearts. It's a byproduct of how they're living. And I have... Seen situations like this before. There was a guy on my staff for several years named Steve Pavik. Do these guys know who Steve Pavik is? Okay, Steve's been here? Good, okay. When Steve Pavik left my staff to move to Alaska to pioneer Kai Alpha up there, uh, there's a, a house in Fargo called Mama Deb's House. And uh, there was gonna be a big send-off on a Sunday afternoon for Steve. And so all these guys and their wives that had been in his small group over the years, our pastoral team, there was about 30 of us there to say goodbye. So, you know, you get to that point where he's gotta go out and get in the car. And so we're all lined up along Mama Deb's sidewalk and he and his wife start at this end of the line and again, you know, you can hear the sobbing from this end of the line down on this end of the line. I mean, it was the biggest, I'd love loved to have been selling Kleenex that day. But the point is, there was just so much relational attachment, so much love, so much respect. And see, everybody wants friends like that. There's, no, there's nobody that wants just superficial friends. They want friends you can count on. They want friends that your heart just gushes in love for, see? And so that's what we're seeing there. Okay, so we know that the Ephesian church started out with said agape, whatever you want to call it, but a relationally attached church, So there is a little word from Jesus in Revelation chapter two to the church at Ephesus. Now, that act scene is roughly 40 years before Revelation two happens. So let's read Revelation two. This is Jesus talking, I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people, and you will put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. Now, if we could stop there they're doing pretty good, aren't they? You know, they've had spiritual discernment. They're on the ball. Jesus is complimenting them. But what does verse four say? But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left the relational attachments. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Folks, in these last days, God is so desperate to gather all people to himself that he wants us to be a people that have, just like that old grapevine in John 15, that relational attachment to him, that relational attachment to each other, and that desire to love people that are not in the family of God yet. Okay. There's the theory Here's the practical application. Small groups are a useful place for building these attachments. And when we say small group, we don't just mean, and I know you guys get it, not just answering a bunch of Bible questions out of a workbook, although some of that might be okay, But we're talking about investing in each other's lives, bearing each other's burdens, rejoicing with each other, weeping with each other, encouraging each other. Um, I had a girl at NDSU several years ago that was about to have her first small group in her dorm room. Two days before she was to launch her first small group, her mother called and said, hey, dad and I are gonna get a divorce. We're splitting up. I mean, you talk about a low blow right when school's starting. And she called me about four in the afternoon, about two, three hours before her small group was supposed to start. And she said, Brad, I don't know if I can do this or not. And I said, well, I said, I hear you and I understand, but why don't you hang in there and try it tonight? So she did. 14 girls showed up in her room. I mean, that is a huge, small group. And they all sat down and she burst into tears and she said, my mom and dad are getting a divorce and I just need you guys to pray for me. And there was instant buy-in for the rest of the school year. Those girls came together and surrounded her with love and care so tightly that that was one of the most awesome small groups in the history of NDSU. And it's because She was real, she was vulnerable, and people stepped to the plate. Okay, so how do we get there? Well, one thing that you want to pray over yourself, and and a story I've told for years is about when I was a junior in college and I read the book of Hosea, which is a really strange book. Uh, God has... Hosea marry a prostitute and she breaks his heart and he's supposed to draw God's people away from the Canaanites idols and back to God. And, And I read that and I'm saying, God, this doesn't make any sense. What in the world is going on here? And God showed me that by having an unfaithful wife, Hosea could better comprehend God's heartbreak over having an unfaithful Israel. And I thought, ooh, that makes a lot of sense. So then I prayed a prayer that absolutely changed my life. And I prayed and I said, God, I want you to give me a glimpse of your heart. I want to see things from your perspective. So step number one in getting to where we want to go is just pray and say, God, give me a glimpse of your heart. I want to see things from your perspective. Second one's an easy one share a meal with people. I have led more people to Jesus, prayed for more people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit on my living room couch because I served them a great meal. And, and, and order in if you can't cook, you know, whatever it takes, you know, but man, the early church at the end of Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? They were taking meals together, house to house. So we're praying over our heart for God's perspective. We're sharing meals. We're sharing our weaknesses. Vulnerability is a huge word. And we are not going to get there if we're not willing to be vulnerable with people. Number, oh, I don't know what number I'm on. <laughs> Um, share life stories is the next one. Number four, um, man, the best way to get to make a friend that I know is to just say, hey, since we don't know each other, tell me your life story. You were born, we'll start there. (laughs) And just see what comes out. And if they don't talk about God, ask them if they were raised in church. Very non-threatening question, but you can get an idea where people are out al- and then hug each other. That that physical display of affection. Uh, one of our uh national officials with Chi Alpha came and did a retreat for me last January and and She was just amazed, she said, Brad, the guys in your group hug each other. I said, yes, they do. (laughs) And I said, I've hugged them and they've hugged me and Kay's hugged them and it's just the way it is. It's the way we operate. So those are some practical things you can do to just really begin to understand the flow of, relation, of the relational attachments that God desires. And so how do you measure in your heart if you're making progress? If you are getting to the place where you're a relationally sticky person, <laughs> where, where this whole concept is working, you'll notice that you're starting to love your enemies. That is a really good litmus test for how you're doing. It's just ask yourself, do who are my enemies and do I really love them? And if you're not there yet, that is totally fine. But just start praying over your heart and saying, "God, I want to have your heart for my enemies." See? And so I don't know that I've shared anything new this morning, but I have just repackaged what a lot of you already know, but sometimes when you understand what you're doing, you can be more effective at doing it. And that's my desire this morning. Now, I'm going to make an unashamed commercial for tonight. Come back tonight. Because what I'm going to share is really going to help you. It's called Five Ways to Know You're on a Divine Appointment. There are mornings when God will tap you on the shoulder and say, step in. Or you'll be at the grocery store and God will say, step in. And what happens to too many of us is we just miss out on those things, either because we just totally miss it or because we're a little bit chicken. But, well, we'll get better at that too. So... Pastor Drew, I just want to call you back up here. Um, this morning, I, uh, I would like to just pray over people to, uh, in general, get a glimpse of God's heart and step into that. But then I'd like you to take over and go where you want to go from
0: there. Amen. Thank okay. you so much, Brad. Would you all stand? Because I do want us to receive a prayer.
1: Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that I can feel in this place right now. I can feel the relational attachments. God, all of us just want to be such an effective part of your family. And God, we we give you permission to mess with our hearts and make us more tender make us more sensitive make us more real make us more like Jesus and so Father I pray that that, that we would just be more like Jesus
0: bless you Drew
1: Hallelujah.
0: I believe the Lord is doing a work of recalibrating our vision of true church and I think too much of the western church is uh too over impressed by people one thing i've loved about brad is he's the same guy in his living room as he is as he's communicating and ministering the gospel and we need more of that in the church yep. to be um far less impressed by the, the really showy stuff and more impressed by the real fruit that matters monday through saturday amen um so Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing and even the, the confirming work uh, that was spoken into this morning by a dear friend. And Lord, we, uh, we just continue to lean in and yield ourselves fully to your vision for what true church looks like. It's family on mission. It's family attach- attachment. It's, it's heart connection. It's covenanting together. And we just ask for more grace. A more, more grace to be stretched out of our consumer mentality, to be stretched out of just what comes natural to us out of the, as a byproduct of the culture that we live in. We want to be counterculture. We want to be recalibrated to like a New Testament paradigm of church. So use us, God. I pray even this week that we would open up our table to somebody. Make an invitation. And even as pastor of this church, Lord, I just, I pray that we, we wouldn't allow messages to be spoken or Sundays to go by where we don't take something and respond and have some sort of uh, way of being obedient to the word that was given to us and trusted to us. So I pray even this week, Lord, you would do a work in our hearts, that we would open up our lives and our, even our tables to individuals, that there would be true heart connections in your mighty name.
1: This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the
0: Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.